a couple of years ago, it, to be specific, if you're wanting to look this up and listen to it again, March 7th, 2021, we were in a series called Jesus 101. And I, and I had a, a message in that series called, What is Worship? And so we looked at what worship actually is. We defined it. And it's important to do that because if you Google define worship, worship defined, what is Christian worship, something like that, you're going to find many, many, many definitions of what worship is. And, and, and most of them are accurate. But they fit, all of these different varying definitions fit under this one general definition that I want to give you. Uh, and I'm not going to re-preach this sermon, but I want to recap it for you real quickly. Worship is a response to a revelation of who God is. All of the different types of definitions of this is worship, that is worship, they all may be true and accurate, but they fit under that umbrella. Worship is a response on our part to a revelation of who God is. So what happened just now when we were worshiping is you got a little tiny microscopic sliver of a revelation of the greatness of God. And something in your heart leaped at that. And the, and the result of that was worship that came out of your mouth or was expressed in some way. This is what worship is. It's a response to a revelation of who God is. The second thing that we covered in that message a couple years ago, worship is not only a response to revelation, worship is a posture. Worship is a posture. It's a posture of the heart, the mind, uh, you know, the soul, and the body. It's a, it's a posture. Uh, Jesus, when he was asked, what's the most important commandment? He said, you shall love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so uh, we see in the Bible examples of postures of worship. So it's a very biblical thing to raise your hands. That's not just something that happens when you go into a Pentecostal charismatic church. It's just biblical. It says all through the Bible, you know, and what is that one that says, bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord, who, who stand by night in the house of the Lord, lift up your hands in the sanctuary and bless his name. So that's a, that's a biblical posture of worship. There are other postures that are not biblical postures of worship. Here's one. Now, I'm not picking on anybody. I'm really not. I, I, I got my coffee up here, right? And so I'm not saying that's, you know, sinful or anything like that. I'm just saying that we have set in the Bible, in the Word of God, uh, specific instances of what we do to worship God. And so we, we went back a couple years ago and we defined uh, what worship is. And, uh, but what I want to do today, having kind of recapped that and, and laid that foundation, I don't want to talk about what worship is. I want to talk about how to worship. Simple. Let's get practical today. 
How do you worship? How do you do this? Um, it's not just singing a song. And so my, my guess is that there are at least two kinds of people in this room right now and watching online. My, my guess is that number one, you have people who think they understand how to worship God because of a church background or a church upbringing. Um, so in other words, you, you know, this, this person may have come in here today with a preconceived preset idea of this is how you worship God. And then I believe there's also another kind of person here that would not even claim to know how to worship God. They're the one that's gonna say, look, I don't know what's going on. I'm not quite sure what's happening here. This is all a little bit strange to me. Uh, you guys, you know, we come in here and we're all singing songs. It's like, where else do you ever go in life where you gather a big group of pe people together and you start singing together, right? I mean, it's if you're not at summer camp. And so, you know, it's like I, people are lifting their hands up. There's words on the screen, you know. Uh, and, and so you are that person that's like, I'm honest with you right now. I'm just being real. I don't know what you guys are doing. and I don't know how to do it. That person is actually easier to connect with on the idea of how to worship because it's kind of a clean slate. So the person, and if it's you, that has come in here and said, I know how to worship, I know what to do, this is what I do, um, we're, gonna, we're gonna dig in a little deeper today and look and see what the Bible says. And I just kind of wanna invite you to go along with me on this journey of learning how to worship God in a, in a deeper way. Because I'm learning too. So uh, the bottom line is that there are people maybe many people who either don't really understand how to worship God or maybe have kind of forgotten how to worship God. And this is an important thing. It's gonna be important in just a few minutes when we worship again. It's gonna be important when you come to TNT. And it's certainly important when you live your day-to-day -day life, which should be a continual act of ongoing worship. So, let me start off by saying this, worship is never, ever passive. Worship is never passive. It is always active. There are times where it might appear to be passive. In other words, there are times where it may appear that nothing is happening. But worship is always an act. This morning, I woke up, and uh, the sun hadn't quite come up yet. You know, it's cloudy and stuff, and, and uh, I, I knew that I was up, and I, I went out to our little prayer cabin, and it hadn't quite started raining yet, and I just sat out there, and I, and I prayed for a minute, and I, and I sang a little bit to God and kind of started my day, and then I just sat, and I just sat, and I didn't say anything. I didn't ask for anything. I didn't petition anything. I didn't declare anything. I didn't proclaim anything. I didn't recite any verses. I just sat in the presence of God. But I actively worshiped him. This is, this is kind of what we're talking about. Worship is always, even in your most quiet 
contemplative moments, worship is active. It's an action. It's intentional. So what I want to do um, in order to make this an official sermon, I want to break this into three points. And uh, so I think I can do it. I figured out a way to make it work. So how do we worship God? Here's the first way. Number one, we give. We give. Worship is giving something of yourself to him. If I wanted to, to, to get a little more intense about it, I would say worship is sacrificial. Worship is sacrificial. The idea is that worship is sacrifice. And before you start forming an idea of what that means, let me say this first. Your act of worship, even celebrating and joy, um, will involve a form of sacrifice on your part. It's something that you give of yourself. It's, a, it's an act of giving, okay? This is what's happening when you're worshiping. Hebrews 13, 15 says this, through him, therefore, let us at all times offer up to God a sacrifice of praise, which is the fruit of the lips that thankfully acknowledge and confess and glorify his name. That's the amplified version. A lot of other versions say, let us offer up to God a sacrifice of praise, which is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. We give. True worship will cost something. That doesn't mean it has to hurt or be painful or anything like that, but it's, it's helpful to understand the action. Remember I said worship is an act. To understand the action that you are undertaking when you're worshiping God. You're giving of yourself, but it'll cost you something. It might cost you some pride. Sometimes it does. Uh, it, it might cost you some energy and effort. I know like on our Saturday services, sometimes we'll have people that come in that, man, they've just had a long week. They've had a hard week. They're tired. They don't feel like doing much of anything, but they get in here and they give God praise because he's worthy to be praised whether they're tired or not, right? And so it might cost you some energy and effort. It might cost you some courage, you know? When we start talking about lifting your hands is a biblical posture of worship, that you, you may not have ever done anything like that before. That might seem strange and, and even abnormal to you, but you still recognize that it is a way of worshiping God. And so you're like, this feels a little weird, but I'm gonna do it because I wanna worship God. So worship, true worship will cost you something. You know, one of my favorite stories in the Bible is in 1 Chronicles, and it's talking about, let me see if I can give you a super short recap of it. King David had heard that the Ammonites lost their king. He died. And so King David sent um, an entourage of his people, his guys, over to the Ammonites to, to basically as an act of consolation, right? He sent his guys, he said, listen, go tell those guys, I heard your king died, I'm very sorry about that. Uh, we are here to express our condolences to you. Simple thing. They get there, 
And the Ammonites see these guys from Israel coming, and they're like, what are they doing here? What's going on here? They're spying on us. They're here to spy on us. They're here to find out our weaknesses. And so they grab these guys, and they rough them up. They shred their clothes, and they shave their beards. Yeah. It's, I didn't, I didn't, that's, it's horrific. I didn't know if I wanted to mention that or not. <laughs> and they send them away. And David hears about this, and this is literally in the Bible. You can look it up in First Chronicles, I think it's 19 or 20. You can look it up. David literally hears what happens to these guys, and he says, go and, and wait in Jericho until your beards grow back, and then come back to me. Because David's like, I mean, I don't expect you to come back without beards, you know. And so that's a joke. You can go ahead and laugh. <laughs> but he really did say that. So, so this is what's happening. These guys, they get roughed up by the Ammonites. Uh, and then here's what happens next. The Ammonites realize what they did, and they're like, oh, we're probably in for it now. Now David is going to be angry at us and we're in for war, so we're gonna strike first. So they attack Israel. David musters all of his, his soldiers and his army. He goes out to war, he defeats the Ammonites, he defeats the, uh, the, Assyr the Syrians that were helping the Ammonites, and then he just keeps on going and he defeats the Philistines. And he, he, he defeats all of these nations, and then as he's defeating these people, he takes them as slave labor and conscripts them into his own kingdom and his kingdom starts growing and he starts growing in pride and he does something God never told him to do this in fact God told him not to do this David takes a census to see how big his kingdom is and then God says through his prophet God says look I told you not to do that you've disobeyed me you're prideful, and now there's going to be judgment that comes. And so the judgment of God comes on Israel. David repents, Lord, please lift your hand of judgment. And here's where we pick up in the story where we're connecting into this idea of worship being sacrificial. God says, I want you to build an altar to me. And so First Chronicles 21, starting in 18, here's the story. Now the angel of the Lord had commanded Gad to say to David that David should go up and raise an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Ornon, the Jebusite. So David went up at Gad's word, which he had spoken in the name of the Lord. Now Ornon was threshing wheat. You get the picture here? This guy Ornon, this is his livelihood, right? This is his operation he's got going up on this hill. He's got a threshing floor. He's threshing wheat. This is how he makes a living. He's a business owner. And uh, so Ornon was threshing wheat. He turned and saw the angel, and his four sons who were with him hid themselves. And David came to Ornon. Ornon looked and saw David and went out from the threshing floor and paid. Now, depending on how fancy of a person you are, you could say homage, or you could say homage. So I'll let you decide how you want to pronounce that. But he, to David with his face to the ground. And David said to Ornon, Give me the side of the threshing floor that I may build it, build on it an altar to the Lord. Give it to me at its full price that the plague may be averted from the people. David's like, look, I know this is your business. I know this is your livelihood. Uh, 
I'd like to buy this from you at full price. Don't give me any discounts. I want you to get full value out of this, but God is telling me to take this spot to build him an altar. And Ornan does what any of us would probably hopefully want to do. It, he's like, no, 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 you just take it. it the, you're the king. This is for God. Take it. And so let's, that's exactly what he says. Ornan said to David, verse 23, take it and let the Lord, the king, do what seems good to him. See, I give the oxen for burnt offerings, the threshing sledges for wood, and the wheat for a grain offering. I give it all. But King David said to Ornan, this is, this is the point right here. No, but I will buy them for full price. I will not take for the Lord for, for the Lord what is yours, nor offer burnt offerings that cost me nothing. You see what he said there? I will not offer God something that costs me nothing. When I'm worshiping God, I will not offer God something that costs me nothing. When I worship, I give. I'm giving. I may be giving different things at different times, but something from me is being offered to him. We, I'm offering him a sacrifice of praise. This is what worship, this is how we worship what we offer to God, and this is, a, this, is, this is another big important thing here. What we offer to God in worship should reflect what we believe about how value, valuable or worthy God is. Does that make sense? Let me say it again. What we offer to God in worship should reflect how worthy we believe God is. Psalms 150 says this, praise the Lord according to his excellent greatness. So in other words, what the psalmist is saying is, however great you think God is, let that be the greatness of your worship. So if you think God's eh, then let that be your worship. If you think God's amazing, then let that be your worship. But let your worship reflect how great God is. So we give, we give. Something from us is offered to him. And when you're really worshiping God, you feel that and you know that. Number two, we live. First of all, we give. Number two, we live. Because we all know worship is not music. Music can be worship, but worship is not music. Worship is a much, much bigger, broader concept than the idea of song or instruments or notes or rhythms, right? Music is a very biblical way of worshiping God. And we could stack this whole room up with verses that back that up. But the idea of worship is not in any way, nowhere in scripture is it limited to the idea of music. Singing, playing instruments, clapping and dancing, they're all biblical. Uh, but 
Nowhere in scripture is it implied that worship is music. I want to read you Romans 12.1, and I want to read it to you out of the Amplified Bible. So it's turned up, it's cranked up. Romans 12.1, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies, dedicating all of yourselves, set apart as a living sacrifice, holy and well-pleasing to God, which is your rational, logical, intelligent act of worship. All of this is offered to him as worship. Everything, every word, every thought, every intent of the heart. One of my favorite verses, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you. It's all for him. Every second of every day, every cent in your bank account, every item in your home, your home, everything, it's all for him. Because how much did Jesus give for you? All, all. He came to this earth as a human being, lived a life, went went to the cross for you and as you, suffered, was killed, and rose again. He gave all for you. Why would we not give all to him? This is what Paul's saying. I I urge you, I urge you to present your bodies as a sacrifice, holy and well-pleasing. This is your logical, rational, intelligent act of worship. Colossians 3.23 says, whatever you do, whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men. Whatever you do, do you play golf? Play golf to the Lord. Worship God. With that, do you play music? Play it for God. Let it, be, let it be an offering of worship to him. Raise your kids as an act of worship to God. Work at your job as an act of worship to God. It's all for him. We live for him, to worship him. Well now, hold on a second. Worship's good, but what about winning souls? about winning souls. We got to win souls. Yeah, we do, but evangelism, that's winning souls, in its purest form is an overflow of worship. Think about that. Evangelism in its purest form is an overflow of worship. I shared a story, uh, oh, I don't know, a year or so ago, um, about how I, I had to come into town uh, from Excelsior Springs to go to Lowe's. And on my way into town, take me about 15, 20 minutes or so, I just started worshiping God. And I just got so caught up in his goodness and his holiness. I got overwhelmed when I started thinking about the mercy of God and the love of God towards me and the heart of God towards me and, and how great God is and how good he is. And it just took me over, and by the time I pulled into the parking lot at Lowe's, I was just overflowing with his presence. And I was really just having this moment of just delighting in God. And I got out of my car, and I ended up praying with three people at Lowe's that day. 
And there was nothing in that moment that was some sort of obligatory, don't forget to share Jesus with people. There, no, it just, it happened as a result of worship. Because what happened is, this is the key. What happened is, I was so filled with the love of God in that moment that every single person I saw, I saw through the love of Jesus. And I didn't have any worry or concern about the fear of man. What's somebody going to think of me? Will somebody see me praying with somebody? I didn't care about any of that stuff. I just saw people as Jesus sees them. And I created opportunities to pray with people and share the love of Jesus with people. Evangelism is an overflow of worship. And let me say this. Worshiping God should transform you. Worshiping God should change you. And extreme worship brings extreme results, and that's transformation. And I want to tell you, one of the most extreme encounters I ever had in the presence of God, um, and this is a timely thing because our, our kids just got back from youth camp, and they went to this youth camp facility near Wichita, Kansas, and this just happens to be the same place when, back when Pastor Sean was in uh, in youth ministry, and I was doing youth worship, that we used to take our youth group to the same place for youth camp. So we had this one night where we were worshiping, and the, kid, the teenagers were just, I mean, full throttle going for it. And I'm going to say this, I can't, I can't think of any more pure experience of worship, at least me personally, than being in a room full of teenagers at 11 o'clock at night that have been worshiping God for an hour. I mean, they are, <clears throat> they are exhausted. They are perspiring. They are, it's, but they are screaming, losing their voices, and they're not putting on an act. There's no religious mask. It's just this pure expression unfiltered expression of love for God. And we'd been doing that for like an hour and I, I was leading that worship time. And then everybody got sent back to their, to their rooms to go back and talk about what had happened. And I wasn't leading a room that year. And so I had nowhere to go. And so I found this empty building. Nobody was in there. Lights were off. And I found, and I found myself just kind of in a hallway of this empty building. And the presence of God was so intense that I just found myself on the floor in this empty building, in this empty dark hallway. And you'd think that's such a strange experience, but it, the weight of the presence of God was so intense that I just was like on the floor. And that changed my life because it gave me just a brief taste of how intense the power, the presence, and the love of God is. It gave me a new standard of what to expect and what to experience. It, it gave me a new context to compare other experiences with God against. Uh, and let me say this. This is a phrase that you're going to hear more often here at Journey Church. One moment in the presence of God can change anything. Can you guys say that with me? One moment in the presence of God can change anything. 
many Christians miss out on God encounters because they're satisfied with good theology. Many Christians miss out on God encounters because they're satisfied with good theology. This is especially true in the day and age that we're living in because there's so much access to so much content. And if you want teaching and theology and doctrine, it's everywhere. But you can't be satisfied with that. You can't reach the heart of God through intellectual assent. I can't. I'm not that smart. I can't relate to him on that level. You know, the Bible even says that as high as the heavens are above, so high are the God's thoughts above our thoughts. But the beautiful, wonderful thing is that our regenerated, born-again spirit was literally designed to be able to connect with God. It was designed to be able to have communion with God. And so we have a way to do that. But knowledge of doctrine and theology are good, but they don't move you towards knowing God. They just move you towards knowing about God. So I've been in pursuit of God encounters for a long time now. It's been a passion of mine. It's, it's been, you know, it's been a part of my, I think, calling. But there's something that I'm beginning to see that's even deeper than an encounter with God, if that makes sense. And this is the last thing I want to talk about. And this one's, this one's harder to talk about because it's a very deep truth. And I'm still in the process of the Holy Spirit revealing this to me. But I said that we, the, how we worship God is, is we give, we live, and this third and last one is we behold. We behold. Now throughout the Bible, we, we see that we are to magnify the Lord. Can, do any verses pop to your mind when I say that? Magnify the Lord? Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together, right? We magnify the Lord. Now let me ask you a question. When you do that, does God actually get any bigger? No, of course not. Of course not. Nothing that we do makes God bigger or smaller. What happens is our perception of God gets bigger. Our perception of God gets bigger. If I had, I tried to think of something to use as, a, as an illustration here. I'll just use my hand. If I was looking through like a little hole here, and I'm like, okay, I see David. I see Galen. What was that show, Romper Room? Anybody my age and older? Right? If I'm looking through this hole, I, I have some vision of this room, but I, don't, I can't see it all. I can see a little bit of it. And for many people, um, you know, we have a large enough view of God that it's like looking through a keyhole. But I think for most people, we're looking through a pinhole. And this is a really big deal because even if, if you're looking through a pinhole, 
Think about this. If you're looking through a pinhole and what you see of God amazes you, what would happen if your perception of God was stretched out dramatically? I mean, it would knock us over. It would change our life. It would turn our perception of everything upside down. If we're just getting a sliver of a slice of the nature of God, and then we got more. Let me read to you one of my favorite passages in the Bible. Since I was a kid, I've always loved this. And it's talking about this, this concept. And in fact, the, the tongue and the interpretation that we heard connects to this. I was just standing up here like, wow, that is so cool. But so Job 26, 7 through 14. God stretches the northern sky over empty space and he hangs the earth on nothing. He wraps the rain in his thick clouds and the clouds don't burst with the weight. He covers the face of the moon, shrouding it with his clouds. He created the horizon when he separated the waters. He set the boundary between day and night. The foundations of heaven tremble. They shudder at his rebuke. By his power, the sea grew calm. By his skill, he crushed the great sea monster. His spirit made the heavens beautiful, and his power pierced the gliding serpent. These are just the beginning of all that he does. Merely a whisper of his power. Who then can comprehend the thunder of his power. What's greater than an encounter with the presence of God in worship? A revelation of the greatness of God, the holiness of God as we behold him. These are two, these are two different things. This is a deeper thing. Remember, worship at its heart is a response to revelation. Worship at its core is a response to the revelation of the nature, the power, the person of God. The cry of our heart should be, Lord, let us see you. Lord, let me know you. Let me behold you. And let me ask the band to come back up because I don't want to close this down today without us spending a couple more minutes doing this. But I want you to listen to the words of King David. Psalm 63, one and two. Think about what I just told you about this idea of beholding God. Beholding God is not something that we do for ourselves. It's not something we do to build ourselves up, to encourage us, to bring joy, to bring peace, to bring breakthrough. It's not that. It's all about him. It's just about him. It's only about him. Beholding God, expanding our capacity to see who he is. Listen to what King David says. Psalm 63, one through two. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding 
your power and glory. David is describing an intense hunger and a desire. And his response to that intense hunger and desire is this. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and your glory. This is deep stuff. Don't just skim the surface of this. Holy Spirit, show us the depth of this. Psalms 27, four. One thing have I desired of the Lord, that will I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Why? To behold the beauty of the Lord. Let's stand up. One thing have I desired of the Lord, that will I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life in order to behold the beauty of the Lord. Have you ever asked yourself, if you've ever read Revelations chapter four, it talks about these amazing creatures, it calls them these living creatures that they're so close. They may be the closest living beings to the proximity of the throne of God as far as we know. And they surround the throne of God. And it says that all they ever say, all they ever say day and night forever and ever is holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Have you ever asked yourself, why do they just keep saying that? Why do they just keep, are they like a broken record? Are they on some kind of infinite repeat? Is that their job to just repeat this phrase forever? Worship is a response to revelation. The proximity that these living creatures are to the throne of God means that as they have this revelation of God that you and I don't have, the only thing that can come out of their mouth is holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. They can't say anything else. They are in a constant perpetual response to this revelation. And the revelation is God is holy, so holy. Beholding is a life founded on the truth that no other offer on earth or in heaven is greater than that of simply staring into the eternal eyes of God than seeing our world through them. Lord, open our eyes. We want to see Jesus. Open our eyes, Lord. We want to behold your glory. We want to know your beauty. We want to see your power. We want to be changed by staring into the face of God. Open our eyes in Jesus' name.